welcome to Mixbus with me, Kevin Paul. This series aims to allow some of the best producers, mixers, engineers and other music industry people to discuss their careers and their approach to music. The success of this series depends on people hearing it, so don't forget to tell your friends if you like what you hear and remember to give it a five-star rating and please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, special offers and promotions. This episode is brought to you in association with KMR, the UK's leading independent pro-audio retailer and recorded in association with Audient and the ID44. It's also brought to you in association with FilePass, a file sharing platform built specifically for the needs of the audio industry. It allows your clients to hear your mixes in the way that you want them to hear them. Find out more at kpmixbus.com and follow us on facebook.com slash kpmixbus and at kpmixbus on Instagram and Twitter. Matt Lawrence is a Grammy award-winning producer, engineer and mixer who has already worked with some of the world's biggest acts. His credits include Adele, Amy Winehouse, Black Eyed Peas, Naughty Boy, Emily Sandy, Lady Gaga and Beyonce to name a few. Starting out of Van Morrison's residential studio in Bath, Matt quickly moved to London's legendary Metropolis Studios that saw him rise through the ranks to become chief engineer where he went to work with some of the biggest acts in the world. Names such as Sir George Martin, Butch Vig, Steve Osborne, Ben Hillier, Guy Sigsworth, Alan Mulder, Gary Langan, Nelly Hooper, Michael Kamen, Bill Price, Norman Cook, Mark Ronson, Justin Timberlake, Timberland and Will I Am have all had a direct influence on his career. Welcome, Matt. Thanks. You don't know how much I had to edit that list down. <laughs> I could have spent... Sounds literally... a lot when you say it like that. God. I'm not, I'm not joking. I could have spent a whole day just reeling off your credit list. Um, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. Metropolis would have been the last time we saw each other physically. Uh-huh. A lot's happened since then. Yeah. What was it like there? It was amazing. It was hard work. I think... I think we were there at a very lucky time. I think the end of the 90s and the early noughties was a particularly interesting time at Metropolis. There was a lot going on. The state of the industry was still such that there were budgets to go to big studios like that. So the bar, you know, the bar restaurant there was, it was just this hub. Yeah. You know, I, I know I heard people would turn up for lunch just to bump into people yeah. if they hadn't been working or, you know, so having that much of an important social hub social hub within the industry was incredible it's where i got to meet so many people yeah. people just hang out you know chat all day yeah. very distracting when you're on a session and you needed to like <laughs> run a midi cable somewhere else you just get caught up chatting to whoever but uh, having a latte at the bar having a lot <laughs> with the huge piled high cappuccino heads yeah yeah I mean, it wasn't just the social aspect, though. I mean, creative-wise, oh, Metropolis was, like like you say, buzzing. Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, I remember my first day there was... I was working on uh, science fiction with um, James Avell, and I was like, Tom York vocal, pushing faders up for... Fantastic, this, I love that. that so, yeah, sat, my first dinner, first day, first session with Trop was with DJ Shadow and James Avell. Next, next to us was All Saints, who were making their first record, and... Um, just, yeah, and downstairs the Verve were finishing Urban Hymns. It was just, there was a lot going on. Now I say it, it sounds remarkable, but it was normal. That's a pretty decent start to the It was a good first day, yeah. 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 <laughs> you came there after working with Van Morrison. 
Yeah. For a long, long time you were there. Yeah, so three, four years, I think, pretty much. What did you learn at Van Morrison's place? Were you, were you obviously were the assistant there? Yeah, yeah. And is that where you learned all your technique? Yeah, I learned a lot there. Um, Van's producer was Mick Glossop, who was a legendary engineer, chief yeah, engineer sure. at Townhouse. Um, and I came there as a long-haired, you know, I started early. I didn't do one of the university degrees everyone else did. I got advice on which to do, and they said, no, just get going, get started. And I was lucky... I got a break there and, you know, I still had my teenage lackadaisical approach to music and yeah. Mick sorted me out quite quickly, regimented me and gave me a very methodical approach to it all. Uh, and then Van, I mean, we were recording 13 musicians simultaneously to tape. Wow. That was, a, I mean, it seemed normal at the time, you know, you sure, get used yeah. to it, don't you? Yeah. We'd have two tape machines leapfrogging each other so my job was to make sure the tape did not run out because he yeah. might walk in and start playing yeah. he might be playing for three hours no one knows it might be one song it might be three hours so i had to have so much tape ready and i had to just be making notes leapfrogging these machines as one's about to run off get the other one going and be note-taking he'd then walk in and go right i want to hear that song i better get the right reel of tape out tell mick the time code value and it better be like what Two, three, or I was in trouble. How did you learn to organise that in your head? Because, I mean, that's not easy to do. On a computer, you press a button and you yeah. put a memory locator in, in your session. Yeah. But those days, it was analogue, pen and paper. Analogue. I had a time code reader, a link synchroniser, yeah, yeah. looking at the time code, just making Extensive copious notes. notes. And actually, it does touch on something that I think is different now to then. You had to do it. It was, you're on stage almost, like it is happening. It feels a bit more like a live concert. So you almost raise your game. Yeah. You're, in, you're in that kind of other part of your mind and you're operating at a level that yeah. isn't normal for you to operate, but yeah. you're just on it and you have to be on it, so you do. Um, and I think that level of ceremony or, yeah. or live aspect of sessions is kind of lacking these days a little bit. You know, people, you what? just loop, record Pro Tools, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that definitely happens as a consequence of technology, doesn't it? Yeah. The, 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 you know, one of the upsides or downsides, I'm not quite sure which, that takes away that live element, as you suggest, but yeah. obviously replaces in it the fact that you can loop around stuff and you can come up with ideas in a different way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like, I'm not never going to say it's better, it's yeah, different. It's just different, isn't and it? And music different. is different. And and I do know people that would say, oh, it's better. There's always guys that are going to hark on about the old days. I hope not to be one of them. Let's see how today goes. <laughs> um, it was amazing. I feel lucky to have had the opportunity to do that and to see that happen. And there was a magic in those performances that others might view as raggediness, but you're in the room and everything is being created there and then. Yeah. Like, that is happening. And, yeah. and that's a special, special thing that doesn't happen often. Yeah. Um, and that's actually, right. I mentioned Urban Hymns. I know a mate of mine, Gareth, was the assistant on that with Chris Potter. And I, I think it was Drugs Don't Work that was like a take. Wow. And the vocal, I'm pretty sure, maybe get one of those guys to correct, but I'm pretty sure when you listen to that, that's a vocal take which is really rare these days. It's just rare. And when those magic things happen, because it, it feels magical, yeah, yeah, that's when all of that hard work 
you've done the sleepless nights and the constant thinking and all of the you know the the technical stuff that you do as an assistant that's when you think oh I like this it is this special is yeah your hairs are all standing yeah, up yeah completely and you're it's so emotional and this yeah. is your job you, I remember even in those days like my mates were going oh you're working really hard they're all off getting Come pissed at beer, uni yeah. and I but my, my hairs were stood up and I remember thinking you know what I don't think they know how yeah. special this is yeah. this is pretty damn cool I've just watched cool. this band play that song that record is yeah and you know it's a fucking great track yeah yeah, yeah, and you just think, oh, that's fucking amazing. Yeah, that's the only best way to gig. Yeah, it. it's this private gig. It's a private thing. Yeah, that absolutely. you're only a few of us are in the room experiencing, and everyone else will hear it on record. But yeah. it's yeah, it's even more powerful when you hear it back, knowing you were there and you yeah. saw it go down. You learn a lot about recording, obviously. Yeah, very, very much. So I record a lot about recording and a lot about the importance of performance and the importance of making musicians feel special and in charge and listened to and catered yeah. for because they're going to perform so much better you get these engineers who almost i've seen engineers who i don't think treat the musicians well enough or, or just think they're like a keyboard or something you know yeah they're going to perform they're going to do something and you do need to sort of get them ready for that and also when the, most importantly when they're ready to go you make sure that mic is there and in yeah, record that's right because in with, especially with van he's ready to go now don't start warming up a 67. Chuck whatever yeah. mic is in your hand to him now because whatever you give him, that's the sound, song that's going on the record. Yeah. He's not going to redo it. Yeah, we've all been there to Because he's one. not going to know what he's yeah. sung some of the time. So there's a lot of... With someone like him, he's just I, I, freestyling. I think artists in general are like that. I don't Probably. Necess- I don't necessarily think that's exclusive to him. And no. I, I can think of half a dozen people I've worked off just off the top of my head who are like, when I'm in that zone you need to be recording because otherwise you're going to miss the magic basically and it's magic isn't it it's the flow it's that 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 creativity it's that eureka moment yeah you know and i mean i know we're only making records but it brings an awful lot of enjoyment to people yeah Um, it really does my only piece of advice to people who are recording when a musician first plays on a thing or sings on a thing even if they're not ready, they'll never play like that again. Yeah. Like yeah, so, yeah. if you're going to play them the thing, the song, so they be in effing record because they won't do it right, but they'll do an idea that they will never again do. Yeah. And if you didn't get that, you're an idiot. And, and also, with hard this recording, there's no reason, no excuse, to not being recorded. No excuse at all. You know, there's there's ample. It's not like tape where you had 16 minutes. Yeah. You know, and it cost 120 quid a reel. Yeah. It's like a hard drive can store 100,000 hours of Absolutely. recording. It's like there's no excuse, no, really. No, even if it's the mic level's crazy and it's distorting, capture the idea that so you can remind yeah. them and redo it later. Yes. It's just, oh, it makes me Yeah, wise, <laughs> wise, wise, wise words there. Wise words. When you were working with all these very successful, very creative people. What were you taking from them? I'll break it down. Well, Steve and Ben actually were pretty much the same thing. And we touched on earlier on, I talked, this was at the Warhol, actually, those guys at Van's place when it was Van's studio, but he still let it out commercially. And uh, really weird kind of 
uh, juxtaposition. You were doing a van record, and then Steve Osborne would come with Paul Oakenfold yeah. doing all the Perfecto remixes, and Ben Hillier was there as the programmer. And as I mentioned, the engineer was like Danton Supple or yeah. Adrian Bushby. All these yeah, like yeah. incredible people. And I, you know, look Who back at the now, time, still it now. was our team. And yeah. but I now think how lucky I am to have been in, you know, learning in a room with absolutely legendary names like that yeah. it was amazing and what i took from those sessions they were just something else we were sort of our preamble chatting about like they were confident to just mess things up like yeah. just yeah let's just fuck it up put it through that put that through that yeah. and they'd listen they'd always be on the lookout for a happy accident something yeah. would go wrong and but it's and they'd go wait they they'd have the confidence to identify wait that's wrong but it's cool yeah. let's go down this road let's either record that or let's put that through that you know always on the lookout for things that were going to be interesting yeah yeah and steve also to his credit we might be doing a three-day perfecto remix for whatever and he always had the confidence he'd come in like day three nah i'm not feeling it start again <laughs> like what there's a day left no no he's like no no start again and he was confident enough to do that and that, it always came good i mean there's two things there number one three days to do a remix yeah yeah okay yeah <laughs> number one no, no one gets three days to do a remix certainly not in the studio no yeah no and and that that thing of having the confidence to start again where does that come from do you think you probably have to ask him but um because it certainly made even me as the assistant like okay <laughs> we've got a day it's a left let's, let's roll our sleeves up um i think you knew you weren't going home that night no no <laughs> if, the the good side and bad side of that studio it was it was residential so okay if there was still work to do you'd still be doing work there was yeah. no such thing as it was always lockout yeah so yeah. as an assistant <laughs> some yeah, of the albums in the oh my god i used to there was one producer I used to watch the sunrise with him and then we'd from the window and then we'd sit back at the SSL and crack on <laughs> oh great um, I, yeah. I didn't see the sunrise when I was in in the studio at no it's nice to have a window but <laughs> you also knew it was daylight again and you were yeah. still at work um, but Steve's confidence to do that I don't know some other really experienced engineers also told me like if a mix isn't working on an analogue desk back in the day you know just pull all the faders down yeah. start again you know, having the confidence to know you're going down the wrong road. Like, don't flog it to death. We, You know, I think yeah. it's an inexperienced thing to No, but if I keep going, it'll be good, it'll be good. I'll just keep going. Stop. Reset. Yeah, I always say, if you can't get a good mix in six hours, you won't get a good mix in 12 hours. <laughs> it'll just because be you'll further just be, you'll down just the worm. six hours of more bad yeah. mixing. Yeah, yeah. You know. In the wrong direction. And it, it it is brave to do that. It is, yeah. Do you, do you, do you ever do that yourself when, when you're mixing? Yeah, I think I'm now able to. I mean, with Pro Tools, it's a bit different, isn't it? Because I think the physical thing of pulling all the faders down yeah. is gives you that blank canvas. With Pro Tools, you're not really ever going to pull them all down again. But I think I'll just completely reset. I mean, more often than not, now I'll just close and load a different session. Um, yeah. You know, I was saying to you, I did all my mixes downstairs on the SSL. These days, it's largely semi in the box i mean i use analog gear running live as side chains a bit or if i like it i'll bounce it yeah. um and i think the ability to jump between songs and genres gives you a whole reset fresh yeah. approach yeah, sure. so rather than pull the phase down i think i would go let's I'll, just park I'll park this it. Yeah. and i'll go and do the 
style of music that's completely different and yeah. or change I'll go it up. do something boring like run stems off and clear my mind yeah. a little bit creative wise yeah yeah you know and that way when you come back to it you, your creative juices will start flowing yeah hopefully in, in the direction yeah I mean I really find um, being able to just do a different start on a different song gives me a whole load of new energy again uh, especially a different artist different style of music it, yeah. it suddenly I can get much more done in a day because you're not kind of fatigued by this one genre all yeah. the time yeah which you had to do obviously oh, man. Know, on tape on, it was yeah like, you, mi- you it mix. Take you two hours to just reset the the desk and um, get yeah. a new tape out. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. you're printing the master mix at midnight. You know, yeah. is it any good? What sort of music were you interested in, like, as, as, to get you into the studio? Yeah, it was like sort of turn of nineties indie bands. Happy Mondays. Yeah, carpets. Happy Mondays into and carpets, and then like you know, Pop Will Eat Itself and. Yeah sort of the wonder stuff before the big yeah, hits yeah, and that yeah. sort of Carter and uh, Chapter House and Ride and those sort of, yeah, all that sort of era bands is when, and that's when I was in bands myself oh, doing that kind of play? thing. Yeah. What, what bad guitar. Bad guitar. Bad guitar. Yeah. I mean, it... <laughs> How yeah. bad? I was like... <laughs> it was all right. It was all right. We were, you know, we were around gigging and doing supports, etc. but... Uh, I think I knew. I was always into the technical side of it as well. Right. So I kind of had that interest from an early age, which is why I then wanted to go and get into studios and start doing all that. And, you know, years, once you're an assistant working crazy hours in a residential, it did lead me to stop playing as much, right. pretty much. I kind of back through it now. I think I'm starting playing a lot more and involved in more writing than ever before. Uh, but I remember the moment. Brendan Lynch got me to sound check a guitar, but it was Paul Weller's guitar, and he was stood there watching me. It's like he's like, just play, man. Come on, just play it. Just let me check a level, and it was like watching when he was just like, bang. You know, obviously it went badly, and it was like I'm just gonna park this guitar thing for a while. <laughs> I remember holding Nigel Kennedy's million pound violin once. <laughs> I totally shit myself. Really? It's, <laughs> yeah, he, my I mean, hands working. Like literally, literally, he was like, "Do not touch the violin." And, and I you touched the violin. Could not be. <laughs> it was like the button that said "Do not push." <laughs> and he went out of the room for about an hour. Right. And I had to pick it up just for like one second and go. <gasps> and put did, it straight back right, down. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy, like, isn't it? Those classical yeah. sessions where, remember, sort of at Metropolis, where we do these string sessions, and you'd have to go in between takes and do stuff and. Mike stands, stands yeah, like Mike. Stradivarius laying around. Oh my god, do not bump is it Stradivarii? I don't know what's the, 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 what what's the, plural? the plural for Stradivarius. <laughs> Maybe someone a can comment. Of Stradivarius is <laughs> it's not Stradivarius, is, is it? You obviously enjoy mixing and you obviously enjoy the studio. You, you wouldn't have had a career of this length if, if you didn't. What can you sort of suggest to people who are looking to come into the industry about, first of all, getting your chance in the industry? Because obviously mm. when, when we were getting into the studios, the studio there were, number one, a lot more studios. Yeah. But number two, the studios kind of nurtured people. Yeah, they did. They, they yeah. took people from assistants and made them into engineers. That doesn't necessarily happen so much so often. There are places like like assorted battery studios who yeah. still have a very good program abbey road i'm sure do maloco maloco do yeah so i'm 
uh, my room is within their building here. Yeah. Um, they have a, an intern program. Actually, I've been um, doing a few studio visits to Recce for projects next year, and I happen to know like the church have yeah. have one yeah. too, as do Strong Room, as do Rack. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they choose them. It's kind of the the Willy Wonka chosen ticket, isn't it? Because it's yeah. they sort of seem to take one a year. So the opportunities are still there, but they're very very small. How so, did you get your break at Van Morrison's place? So I was very lucky. I I actually was started at a very small place in Bath, and we had the tech from Van's place came over to help us rewire the twenty four track room, the big room, yeah. and. Uh, I remember the moment actually, all the studio guys went, it was just me and the tech, and he'd been mentioning the tape, the assistant engineer job was, you know, available at Van's place. It was Tears for Fears then, actually. Van bought yeah. it two weeks after I started. And I remember being really nervous. It's like, I've got to ask him, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. And I sort of went in the room, and that was my big break, really, what getting the job. Tech. I, I want it. I was an engineer at this place, but it was right. recording demos and stuff, yeah, and yeah. I knew I didn't know what I was doing, you know. Is is that is that something that people need to have that determination? Oh yeah, you you need to really want this, or it is not going to happen. You know, we've been there at four in the morning, yeah. the second time, the second time, still yeah. up. You know, that happens less, but you've got to want it. I mean, yeah, you've got to be prepared to work hard. Yeah, there's a different set of parameters now, isn't it? As, as an assistant. Yeah, I think people are... There's still crazy hours happening. Yeah. Um, but people are a bit more reasonable now, I think. Yeah, but there's a different set of jobs to do, isn't there? There's, there's you know, yeah. making stems, keeping yeah. things organised, um, you know, people management, data management. Data management. Stuff big, like yeah, that. all that. And, and, yeah, almost like IT tech support as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I was chatting to a, a, the tech at Rack, actually, about this sort of... The, the tape up. When I was there, the other thing about you know, doing the the van sessions was that um, I had to be involved. I was like the literally the nerve centre. I had the track sheet. I knew where everything was. Yeah. I had to patch everything in. So I knew literally everything that was going on in the room, technically, more than anyone else. I had to because it was my job to, to plug it in. So you learnt the process really well and you learnt the song really well because yeah. you were in charge of the track sheet. So... I'm sure we all know what one is, but you know the 24 track tape. You had to write down what was written where and yeah. and at, for how long that part was played because you'd want to record more than 24 things sometimes. So the producer would say, "Right, we're going to do a verse two shaker." Now, before the engineers asked you, you're already looking at the track sheet, going, "Right, where can we fit verse two? Right, there's an outro part there, so we could use that track, but we've got to be out by that point." You know, you you were. You knew the song better than anyone. Yeah, that's true. And what that's was, very true. And and nowadays, assistants see the back of someone's head clicking away. I mean, I'm sure actually with stems, they're going to get to retrospectively see what went on. But I was definitely at the heart of it and seeing production decisions, how they steered and influenced and really feeling a part of it. And I always had an opinion. I knew never to say it, but yeah. you'd be seeing if this guy would do what you would do or... That's right. You think about, oh, this is what I do. And then yeah, definitely wouldn't someone, say that. Though. No, you wouldn't say it. But if, <laughs> and then you, like, you know, an hour later, they do what you thought that yeah. you would do, and you think, oh, or they do the opposite. Or they do go, the opposite. Yeah, actually, that was good yeah. as well. Right, and you I think, oh, wrong. that's brilliant. I didn't think of that, or I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, and I reckon a lot of um, 
my production must be things like a lot has gone on over the years and years of assisting a lot of those techniques from all those people must have gone in let's just talk a little bit about mixing how do you start your mixes like let's say <sighs> let's say you haven't worked on the project and so, someone's yeah. coming to you and just said okay matt we want you to to mix this album or this single mm. which um which i think you do quite a lot of you do quite a lot of yeah mixing yeah after the session's been recorded or produced. Yeah. Where do you start? I I think I view every session differently. So I don't ever have a set way or okay. a preset or a temp- map. Or maybe I should. But usually you meet the artists, you see what they want, first of all. Uh, listen to the song. And I'll always then ask them for some reference. Some, I'll, a Spotify playlist of three four songs that they want as sort of touchstones for where this is going to be yeah. start to get a sense of really what what they think they want and try to understand what they do want um and then it can vary because you might be sent a multi a pro tool session where there's already a kind of mix in progress which is always really nice because you're already up and running and you can take it from there and get you know steer things further we've all also been there where you just sent a bag of like audio, audio one files, yeah. stereo yeah. bass drum files and you spend the first day sifting through figuring out what's in mono what's in stereo yeah. i always mean to outsource that and have an assistant start it but i actually think it's probably it's quite a good way of learning the song so yeah. i haven't yet started to do that and then and what do you do after that i mean so you know let's say it's a a, a pop song are you focusing on the melody do you do you try what how do you identify right how do you identify in the track what's important yeah that i think i couldn't answer the how i just do i go through and i figure out what i feel is important identifying you know what's the hook what okay i don't think the groove is really important and yeah, sure. really overlooked like what is the groove here because if you're not careful you can sonically mix and you can just completely fuck up the groove yeah. It just falls apart because you've been too clever, trying to make it too shiny. Whether you still got to move well and bounce well, um, I learnt from Roisin Murphy actually do, doing a Maloko album. Learnt a lot about. She called it dance floor distress. So we'd be mixing statues, the yeah. last Maloko record. And Roisin would be in the back dancing away, and if she stopped dancing, or she she went wait stop there's something wrong with the groove at this point and she because she couldn't dance well to it right. and i think you know not for every style of music but that ethos that stuck with me a bit is it moving well is it grooving yeah. have i been too clever with something sonically and i've actually killed the groove here yeah. that's yeah. partly a production thing but you can easily ruin that in the mixing stage yeah of course if you're not careful yeah. so yeah i don't know how i identify which are the key elements but i think it's really important to do that is it fair to say you just go on feeling I think I do, yeah. 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 Turn stuff up, and if it makes you go, oh. Have a little play, tinker. It's quite a good process to copy the rough mix, if there is one. Yeah. Um, I always try and get one, actually. In fact, I try and get every mix that's ever existed of it. Um, people think I'm mad, and some people think that's just too much information and overkill. But I think when you listen to a mix, you're looking into the room through a different window, and someone else's mix is a different window again. And the more windows you can look through, the more you understand what the song could be. And different mixes might work well in one part. And you're like, okay, I like what he's done with the groove there. I'll make sure I don't lose that. You know, more chances to to view it, really. How long does it take you to do a mix? (laughs) Uh, You you mix the track in five hours? 
I have it? because I've only been given five hours. Okay. Or I you, think you, I'm you more. Buy that fills the, I'll fill the, the week. I'll fill the week with it. If you have, but it. I'll tinker. Now, I, so I did the. You know, I brought up on an SSL or Neve or any other brand where you do the mix. You start in the morning and you print the master mix at God knows what time at night. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best way possible. And I think now because I can jump around, as I said, you get stuck. Just open up that mix, and sometimes I might just do an hour. But I'll do something really amazing, radical, or just subtle. But I might just open that song five times during the week, and okay. So I don't know how long it's taken. So you sort of you don't you don't sort of say you don't sit down and go, okay, it's ten o'clock in the morning and I'm going to finish the track at no. eight o'clock in the evening. No, no you're constantly I'm, working. On I'm it. just tinkering, and then I think Four I or five hours. I finish the, the mix once they've really demanded it. I just keep going. Okay. I just keep going on it till till they go. Please send it, Matt. We we need the song now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It, it's good to have a a deadline, but I definitely don't do it in one sitting by any stretch of the imagination. And I think the um, fresh ears or just new approach, and it's the palette. It depends what you've been working on before. You just get to view it in lots of different ways. It's amazing. Yeah, it's true. If you if you've worked on something that's soft. And you come back, it's, you might notice it's too aggressive or you've worked on something punchy and you come back to your mix. It's like, oh, actually, I could, I reckon I could pull more out of this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Is there one thing that you've kind of always tried to do? With regard to mixing or production or just Let's, all of it? We can discuss both of those. Let's start with production. I definitely want to be in pre-production with the band and make sure everybody's had a voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for production for me, pre-production is really important, and it's an important stage to get to see the dynamics of the band. But where did you learn that importance? I think on the because job. Or as, as an assistant, you wouldn't have seen pre-production. I think maybe working. We had a rehearsal room at Van's place, so there were some pre-production things that used to happen. He, right. There was also a rehearsal room there, yeah. so that was quite handy. I think being with such musical projects, you were aware of it. And and sometimes pulled in to help. About, yeah. It was talked about. Um, and back in the 90s, budgets were such that that pre-production sometimes happened in the studio. Sure. So you were, sure. you were yes. actually a part of it, watching it happen, except it wasn't in a cheap-ass rehearsal room on a trading estate. It was in a posh recording studio. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You would spend three days or oh. a week yeah. jamming. Yeah. Working songs Searching. Out. Yeah. Find writing in the studio. Yeah. I mean, it still happens with major label, big, big budget stuff, but a lot of people now turn up, right, we're doing 10 drum tacks in three days, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, probably lucky to have seen that time as well, where there were those budgets. Yeah. Um, but also now, I have not, I do not like wasting time in the studio. I think the studio time is sacred. I want the rehearsal, I want everyone to go in really confidently. I, who was it? I don't know who. It was just a load of people that over the years, it made me realise that having the musicians confident in what they're playing yeah. made a huge difference. When they turn up, we're all nervous about our roles in it. And I think the engineers and producers can forget that the musician, musicians are nervous too. Yeah, they might be out of their depth on this session. or so It, it might was, be their first time in the studio. Yeah, absolutely. Big studio. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the better producers I've seen just made sure that everybody felt confident, they knew what was expected of them, they knew the parts, they'd had the song sent to them. 
where possible. And it just meant that people turned up ready to go in the yeah. right mindset. And I, those sessions seem to run much more efficiently. What about mixing? Is there a, th- a process that you that you do? Or not maybe every time, but is kind of like that's kind of a, a thing that you would always try and see if it's going to work in this song? Or, you know, whether that be, I don't know, parallel compression or a very particular treatment that you might want to do? Yeah, um, I think parallel compression is something that I generally have running all the time anyway. I have a parallel compressor to, on, set up. I'll certainly try that Do on you anything. use multiple parallel compressors? Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, like, like, you know, like Michael Brower style? or if I mean, if, only if I'm in a big studio with lots of compressors. At mine, I might use four or five or whatever, but um, yeah. uh, back when I was like, based at Metropolis or whatever, I certainly would enjoy doing all of yeah. that and setting up a, a crazy-ass chain, plugging all the patch cords in was always something <laughs> I ended up doing. Um, but I think with mixing... Process probably just listening to every mix available of the song, making sure yeah. I've seen how it has existed and how everyone has heard it as well. Um, yeah. Just so that I know what people are expecting. I know also some people do the opposite of that. I used to work with William Orbit and he was like, right, hear the rough mix quickly, right, get rid of it, delete it. I never want to hear it again. I don't want it tarnishing my... Wow. And that was a complete opposite to me and that works for him. Yeah, of course. It's I, I've found it amazing actually that spending years as a, an engineer and an assistant I've seen people take the polar opposite approach and still arrive at the same place yeah and that really has taught me that there there are no rules in a way or you, or you, there are so many ways of reaching any point mm. and so those people who talk in absolutes oh this is how you do this I sort of I'd say Mistrust those people beware false prophets those people who sort of say this is how it has to happen it really doesn't i bet there's 10 ways it can happen the last section in the podcast is called dither and delay right now this is this is this section's about what you try to avoid doing in the studio in mixing in production wormholes certainly identifying wormholes that wormholes being you know when you get on some detail and you start to obsess and you spend either days or on a one day mix you might spend three hours on this thing that you think is going to be incredibly clever this little delay pinging off of and really it's you need to identify when you're wasting your time how do you how do you identify that i think a spider sense just comes years of watching other people do it staying up all night has meant that I've got a very good wormhole spider sense and it's like lads whatever we're doing ladies this is not nearly as important as you think it is you know the crazy overdubs that people do that they think are really clever can you think of anything without without mentioning any names I won't mention the name but it's always made (laughs) this band back in the 90s again no mobile phones yeah. Did you ever work at Real World, Peter Gabriel's place in Box? No, the legendary well, Real yeah. World. Well, it's really near a train line. Yeah. And these guys had this great idea, like, we want this panning voice shouting. So one guy's going to go to another town, get on a train. We're going to mic up the train track. And it was before my office. It had to be so well organised with timetables and watches. It took all day. And, of course, this fucking intercity one-two-five. Rolling. <laughs> <laughs> 
all the meters went red. It was fucking nonsense. Well, the idea was that he shouted out There'd of the train. There'd be this shouting backing vocal part panning across the image. It was the most ludicrous overdub I've ever <laughs> seen. You win. That's it. You but, win that one. <laughs> You totally win. There's no one going to come up with a more ridiculous overdub than that, I think. Oh, that's brought tears to my eyes. I think that's a great place to end the podcast, if I'm honest. Uh, Matt, it's been wonderful to catch up with you. Mate, great Uh, to see you again. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, nice one. Take care. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Mixbus with me, Kevin Paul. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the whole series on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to join me for the next episode, and until then, goodbye.